I don't know where he got the list. I think he just threw 30 of them in a hat and just drew out 10 of them at random and didn't even see if they were any good or not. But uh, so I got, <laughs> so I've got, I've got five that I think should have been added in there and that should have replaced some other ones. All right, maybe. Um, but you know, hey, we, we, we can live on with that, right? This one, this one's personal and he made it even more personal last Saturday night. Um, but uh, uh, he put up there for the best Western, right? Um, he put up there Silverado. All right, which is, right, by your response, I can tell you already agree with me, right? So he put up Silverado, and I was like, there's just no way that's the best Western movie out there. There's just no way. The best Western is Tombstone. It's Tombstone, right? How many of you guys are with me, right? All right, come on, let's see, let's see, let's see. All right, how many, I want, I want to take this vote. How many of you guys say Silverado? How many of you guys say Tombstone? How many of you never watched a Western in your life? Okay. All right, your homework this week is to go watch both of them and then come back next week, all right? That's your homework, all right? Oh, man, so Tombstone, it's a great Western right there. Uh, I was thinking Saving, Pri- Saving Pri- Private Ryan needs to be in there, right? Um, and I know we mentioned that, right? And I know we both agree that's a fantastic movie, so that needs to be in there. Uh, Hugh and I are talking about this one, like The Count of Monte Cristo. Come on, that's a great movie right there, right? The Count of Monte Cristo, all right? That's a good movie. Braveheart. Come on, that's a good movie right there, right? That's a good movie. So Braveheart, this one right here, this is going to be in, in place of your space movie that you had, all right? Uh, what was the space movie you had up? I can't remember. Alien. Alien, that's right, all right, which is a good movie, which is a good movie, all right? Um, but I, this one, and maybe I get last for this one or whatever, it's Armageddon with Bruce Willis. Come on, that's a good movie, right? Ah, he doesn't know right there. So it's so funny. So when we were talking about Tombstone last week, I was like, come on, Tombstone. Here's Pastor Fred's response. What are you, a teenager? <laughs> right? <laughs> I loved it. I was like, oh, it just got personal. So <laughs> it just got personal. But uh, <laughs> so, so all these movies are great. And it's so fun as you go through and you look at movies. I mean, every good story has an element of somebody needing to be rescued, right? I mean, every good story, it has some element. Maybe they're not in peril, but there's something that they've given up on a dream or they've given up on a family member or they've given up on themselves. And there's this element that they need to be rescued. And that's weaved into every part of our lives. And we have this sense that we need to be rescued. That when we go through our days and we go through each, each moment in our own life that we walk through um, each day and we look at our situations and like, man, if I could just have this, right? If I, could, if I could just win the lottery, right, it would fix all of this, you know? If I could just get rid of that boss, right, then it would fix my work situation, you know? We go through and just look at each of our situations. I wish I could be rescued from this moment, right, by something better, And we look at that and we just sense and know that there's a need for us to be rescued. And the truth of the matter is, is that each of us need to be rescued, not from our circumstances, but we need to be rescued in the sense of our own spirituality and our own existence and and who we are. The very core of life itself is in wanes. It's, it's, it's It's in trouble. And if we are not rescued by God himself, the creator of the universe, by Jesus Christ, then we're lost. And the core of who we are at humanity knows this to be true. And it spills out into every area and every arena of our lives. And so as we think about that and look at that today, we're going to be working through another fantastic movie that we've got right here. Anybody can name it? We Were Soldiers. soldiers. This is a great movie. It's a great movie. (laughs) One of my favorite things about this is, and the story of rescue that I love in this, is actually the story of Joe Galloway, who was a reporter 
who was on the field, and he went to report um, on the war that itself. And for me, I love the story of rescue that's taking place in his own life because as, as the movie goes on, we find out his character a little bit. We find out that he was, um, you know, that he's a reporter in a long lineage of a military family. And so he's taken a different avenue where others in his family had been in command positions and they served and even had done heroic things and been recognized for that. And he's a reporter, and you could see his own wrestling with that. And you can see him struggling with his own sense of identity and, and just who am I and is it valid and does it make a difference? But you see this, this longing in him to be noticed and to be heroic. And there's almost a sense, this underlying tone that he needs to be rescued from himself. And that his, his story needs to be validated and he needs to see his purpose in the world. And so he's there at the war, and, and he's, he's, fighting, or he's, he's watching all the fighting going on, and, and uh, Mel Gibson's character, you know, asked him, what in the world are you doing here? And he said, sir, I knew that these dead bodies would be here, and someone needed to tell their story. And so that is his purpose in this movie, and you see him wrestling through this, and you see him going on and trying to figure out what it looks like today. So we're going to be working through a little bit of his story, just tying that a little bit in, and then working through the story of another person in the Bible, uh, which is the greatest story that's ever been told of rescue, is God rescuing humanity. And so we're going to be in Luke today, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at Zacharias. Zacharias, and so we're going to be looking at him today. Let's pray real quick. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, and uh, God, I thank you for um, just being with us today. God, I thank you that we have a chance to be in your word and for you to speak to us. God, that we have a chance to be encouraged, not just in some sense that uh, we get to come in and just feel good about who we are, but we get to be encouraged in the sense that you are God who is with us and that you've given us purpose and that it's not about our story, and it's not about our failures, it's not about our successes. But God, it's about the story that you're writing through Jesus Christ. And it's about his successes and his accomplishments, and that he's done everything. And that you see us through him. God, and that you've rescued us through Christ. And that gives us purpose, it gives us meaning, and it gives us opportunity to do your work. So God, encourage us in that today. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever found yourself to be in a place where you wanted to be the hero and then that moment happens, the heroic moment happens and you freeze and you don't know what to do with it? Have you ever been in that place? All right, I have. It was eighth grade. Um, I was on the JJV team, right? This is, uh, this is my high school that I went to. I went to Windsor High School, which is across the river. It's outside, you know, uh, next to Smithfield, Franklin. It's in between those. And um, it was a, it's a still a small town, but it was an even smaller town then. You know, we had two stoplights, right? We had one grocery store and two restaurants, which were both connected to a gas station, right? And, uh, and so that's what we had. If you needed gas, milk, or fried chicken, you went to Century, right? Um, and so that's just the way it was. That's the town I grew up in. And in our high school, we, we, our high school, we only had elementary and high school. So our high school uh, was 8th grade through 12th grade. And the year that we became 8th graders, which we called ourselves Thetamores, right, which was ridiculous when we started chanting that. But anyways, um, we were 8th graders, and uh, there was a, uh, we were the largest 8th grade class to come in, and all of us wanted to play football, and they didn't know what to do with this, so they made up a JJV team, right? And, uh, and so they just basically tried to find games which were really scrimmages for other JV teams, right? And uh, so that's what it was. So uh, one game we went, and we were going to play Nanceman River, which is in Suffolk. So we were going to play Nanceman River. Now, this is a JV team that we're playing, right? So they're ninth, 10th grade, right? 
we're eighth graders, right? The whole team is eighth graders. They're ninth and tenth grade, right? And maybe even some should have been twelfth graders, right? And so, <laughs> so, so, you know, we go out there, and then whatever they fed their kids is not what they were feeding us, right? So let's just say that, right? There was a definite difference in size, right? And so we're out there, we're playing, and and uh, and so I, they they put me back in this position of safety because I was about 135 pounds wet. Right? And, uh, and I didn't run very fast, right? Obviously, when I tackled somebody, people laughed, right? And, uh, and wasn't able to catch the best. So they was like, let's put Jamie at safety. Maybe at least he'll just get in somebody's way, right? Just be a good <laughs> speed bump. And so they put me out there as safety. And uh, so I'm out there, and I'm dropped back, and the play's going on. And then all of a sudden, i just sitting there, and I just look up, and I'm like, holy cow, the ball's coming to me. <laughs> holy cow, I'm in the best position to catch the football, Right? So what happens? I catch the football, right? I'm the hero, right? This is this awesome moment. I'm excited. I'm just like, yeah, I catch the ball. And I don't fumble it. I catch it. I tuck it in, and I look over at the sidelines, and my whole team's like, yeah, and they're cheering my name, and like eight of our parents are up in the crowd, and they're like, yeah, right? And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, oh, run, idiot. <laughs> and so I start running, right? And then as I start running, I notice this massive force of men running towards me. And I instantly regretted being the hero of the moment. I didn't know what to do, so I stood there and tucked and waited. <laughs> and then I got pummeled, and I hated every moment of it, and that was pretty much the end of my football career. <laughs> There's these moments where we sit, we're just like, yeah, I want to be a hero. And then sometimes we get in this moment where we feel heroic, and then yet we pause, and we're like, what do we do? How do I... What, how do I respond? And we don't know what to do. And, and that's today where we find Zechariah. And uh, so we're going to read his story today in Luke chapter 1. If you will, join me there. We're going to be starting in verse 5. But in Luke chapter 1, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation today. And it's up on the screen if you'd like to follow along with me in that translation or if you don't have your Bible. But Luke chapter 1, verse 5. So when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Isn't that nice how he did that? I'm old. My wife, she's well along in years. It's wisdom right there, gentlemen, wisdom. 19, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. 
But now since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So here's the story of Zechariah. And there's so many incredible things in this story and a lot that we could get into today. But for our context and looking at it and continuing the series of rescue, we see a man who's in a moment that he's prepared for. It's a moment that he's been waiting for. It's a moment of high honor. It's a moment of high privilege. Zechariah is a priest, um, and it says, as it mentions his name and where he's from, he's not the high priest. There's been some teaching, some study says that he was a high priest. He was not a high priest. He was just a priest in the lineage, and he had his duties. He had his roles and responsibilities, and so he basically was a really good churchgoer who had some extra rules, right? So that's who he was, and he did them well. He did them so well that God noticed, and him and his wife, you know, as scripture we just read, were recognized for being obedient in all that they did. They were righteous, and some translations say they were sinless. The idea is not so much that they were perfect and that they had no need. It was the fact that they just did really well and that they were at the top of their game in Judaism, right? They were the best that Judaism could prosper and that could put forth. They were just perfect people in the sense of as perfect as people can be, but we all know that perfect people are still flawed people, right? So this is who they are, and they're now well along in their age, and so they've been praying, obviously, for a child, because obviously, you know, in their religion, even still today in our culture, that having a child is a huge blessing. It's something that's seen as an honor of God. It was um, a, a way that you passed on your heritage of your family, so this is a big deal, and now they're older in age, and they were not able to conceive a child. You know at some point, as some people even today have, have struggled with this and go through this, we have many friends that are in this place, that it can weigh heavy on your heart, and it's something that's definitely in your, your younger ears of, of life that you offer up prayers to God, and you want God to come in and answer that and to be, uh, you know, to, to provide for you in some way. And, and so you can, you can tell that this has been moments that they've had to wrestle with it. But one of the great things is that, is that God talks about their faithfulness and their righteousness. You can see that that never caused doubt in them of who God was. Never caused them to walk away from God. It never caused them to doubt God. It never caused them to doubt what their role was in working out God's plan. So they trusted God. They were faithful in God. And many scripture, or many people that have written commentaries, they would say that even at this point they had given up. Or that, that the prayer that uh, Gabriel's talking to them about is, is that they've been praying for a child and that this prayer is finally going to be answered. One of the big things about this is, is if you go through and you read the rest of it, which we just read, you look at the context of it. It's not so much that his prayer for a child was being answered. Because probably with them being at this age, they had stopped praying for a child at this point. So they're well along in their age. They're not praying for a child. Zechariah, being a priest, knowing scriptures, knowing scriptures very well, being very attuned to the culture and what's taking place. And we see here that it's the time of King Herod, which is when the Jews, uh, the Jews were being severely oppressed by the Romans. They were being taken over. They were being just all kinds of uh, just things that they were going through. They were desperate for the relief of God. They were desperate for the relief of their nation. They were desperate that something would be changed and that they would be restored to who they were. So Zechariah is a priest, knowing what's going on, knowing the prophecies of Scripture in the Old Testament, is able to draw these parallels and saying, listen, we're in a time where God's getting ready to do something. This is the moment that God's getting ready to move. This is the moment that God's getting ready to make something happen. And he's been earnestly praying for God to rescue the nation of Israel. That's the prayer that he's been offering up. 
And Gabriel comes and stands before him and says, Gabriel, or he says, he says Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth is going to have a child. And the moment that he said, it's a quick passing, the, your, Elizabeth's going to have a child. Here's what his character is going to be, and here's what he's going to do. And that's the amount of time that is spent describing John is what's going to be the result of his birth. Not the fact that they're going to get a child, but the result of his birth. Zachariah, in this moment, should have had this expectation that he's walking into God's presence and that he's been praying for the relief of their nation. He's been praying that God would send the Messiah. He's been praying that the Romans would be removed and that the persecution of the Jews would be done. He's been praying for that to happen. This is his expectation. This is his hope. He comes into the temple carrying out his duties and all of the rituals and all the things that are set before them, and he's doing all of these things, and an angel appears to him, and he's stricken with fear, which is not an uncommon thing. We can see in Scripture that that happens a lot. Abraham, when he had an angel appear to him, he was fearful. He was like, I don't know what's going on. He even doubted the moment. You see Gideon, the same exact thing happened to him. He doubted the moment, was unsure about what was taking place. But for some reason, Zechariah, when he doubted in the moment, he was punished for his unbelief, and he was punished for his doubt. The reason is, is because he was caught up in the moment, he was doing his work, he was doing his things, he was going through the rituals of the religion, and he had an expectation that something was going to happen, he had an expectation that things were going to take place, but his his expectation was not on what God was going to do or what God could do through him. His expectation was not that God was going to fulfill his promises in sending the Messiah. His expectation is that someday, somewhere, something may happen. And what is my moment right now is just to do my thing and take the honor and go in and burn the incense. And so for what us today, a challenging thought for us today is to look at this. Our first point this morning is, is our religious participation shouldn't outweigh our expectation of his promise being fulfilled. Listen, when we come to church and we be a part of what God is doing here, a lot of times we come with the heart and we come with the attitude that we come and we sit in a chair and we come and we're a part of service. We come and we lift our hands and we go to life group and we do all the things. We're participating in church. We say, man, okay, I feel good about myself. I feel good that this is going on. I feel good that, 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 that I'm doing these things. I feel good about my relationship with God. It's helping me grow my relationship with God. But oftentimes we fall in a place that our comfort is in our participation in church. And our joy, our hope, and our, our future is not in the expectation that God is going to fulfill his promise. See, when you go through and you look at this, Zechariah, as a priest, knew scripture, had scriptures memorized. He was drawn the perilous. He knew that this moment was huge. He had been praying earnestly that God would send the Messiah. He was desperate that God would do something. And he walks into a moment, a heroic moment, a powerful moment where an angel appears. I mean, come on. How many of you, you would stand up and be like, all right, I'm scared, right? But something cool is getting ready if an angel just appeared right there in your room, right? Right? So he looks at this moment, and the angel starts speaking to him. The angel, Gabriel, who is in the Jewish tradition, they have a saying that Gabriel comes with two wings. And I'm just drawing a blank right now. And the other angel that we know his name of right now, I'm drawing his blank, Michael, comes with one wing. And what it is is that Gabriel, when Gabriel comes throughout, Gabriel's always bringing the blessings of God and the promise of what God's getting ready to do. 
Michael brings the wrath of God and he brings the judgment of God. So the saying is saying this, that when Gabriel comes, God sends quickly his messengers to show his blessings and his provisions. But God is slow to send his wrath and slow in his anger. So that's their Jewish saying. So, so this is the moment that Zechariah is standing in. He's sitting there with expectation, and he's just been, God, I've been praying that you will relieve the nation. I've been praying this, but his mind goes elsewhere in the moment because he's not expecting God to fulfill his promise through him and in that moment. How many times does that happen for us that we go to church and we participate in things? That was a good Sunday. I got my spiritual tank full, so let's go ahead and just walk into Monday. And we don't allow that to influence our Monday other than I feel good. It should be something that fills our tanks, not in the sense that I feel better about myself or I like my church or, man, that was a good word or I've been convicted, I need to stop doing some things. It's to recognize that God notices us, God chooses us, God wants to work through us, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because what Christ has done. And then it's his goodwill and his good pleasure. He chooses us and he wants to work through us. And when we come together in church, that we're encouraged, that we're encouraged not in that we're okay and that we don't have to go to hell, but we're encouraged in the fact that God is with us, he's walking with us, and that he has a purpose and a plan for us that affects all of eternity. And that should give us joy and excitement that, man, God wants to work through me. But oftentimes our religious participation it distracts us instead of encourages us. I mean, when we come into church, it should be a moment that we come together that we're reminded of how good God is, how faithful he is, how loving he is, and it should spur us on to run out of these doors to those that do not know him. Zachariah is in this there and, and, and talks about the people outside praying, and you know that their prayers are weighing heavy in his heart because their prayers are saying, God, relieve us. God, we're under pressure. God, we're being tortured. God, let this moment be gone. And you know these prayers are heavy on his heart as he walks into this moment. And God's saying, hey, I want this to happen. And he's just like, how's this going to happen? Oftentimes when it comes to evangelism, I know in my own life, and I'm going to preach to myself for a minute instead of to you. But I know in my own life, when it comes to evangelism, there's a conversation that God wants me to have. There's a thoughts in the back of my head. There's, there's these things that start coming through. Hey, you should do this. Or hey, you should say that. And I'm like, how's that going to happen? They're going to look at me like I'm crazy. They're going to just walk away from me. They're going to, right? I look at the moment. It's a moment that God is speaking to me saying, I want to do something. I want to fulfill my promise of God coming into their life through you right now. And I fumble it. But yet, when I come to church, I'm ready to do church. Right? Come on, let's be ready to do church everywhere that we go. That when we walk into the grocery store, we're ready to do church right there because it's a moment of expectation that God is going to fulfill his promise in somebody's life. I love it if you were watching Pastor Fred this week on the 10 for 10 challenge, which if you don't know what that is, when you're walking out today, grab 10, 10 reach cards and hand out 10 cards this week. We're going to do this for the next nine weeks now, and as we do this, at the end of it, whoever's giving away the most reach cards is going to have a party for you and nine other people at Snow Cones, all right? So we're going to do that. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. But here's the goal of it. It's not just a sense of competition, right? It's a sense of that we're supposed to reach people, right? Pastor Fred talked about it last week, that we're supposed to understand that we're supposed to be rescue-oriented, that we're in this life not to do what we want to do and to receive blessings, but we're in this life to go and to tell people of the good news. 
We're going to share with them. This is what God has done in my life, and here's what he can do in your life. I'm rescue-oriented. I know that you're far from God, and you need to be close to God. And he's given me an opportunity in this moment to see his fulfillment, his promise fulfilled. That's what he's given us an opportunity to do. So when you're walking out today, grab those reach cards. Walk out. In my backpack, I've already got, I've got 10 stacks of 10. My goal is to try to give away all 100 this week, all right? That's my goal. Because one, I want to beat Pastor Fred. And two, and two, and two, I want to do everything I can. Because I hesitate. I hesitate to tell people about it. I hesitate because I'm like, I don't know what they want. I don't know what they're going to hear. I don't know what they're going to sense or feel in the moment. What if they get mad at me? What if they start judging me? What if they hate God? And what if they hate Christians and they take it out on me in this moment in the middle of the grocery store? And I was like, I just wanted a bag of Doritos and tell you Jesus loves you. And uh, Why? You know, I was like, uh, I don't know what to do with this moment. But, man, these cards can be something that can help me just to say, hey, I would love for you to be with me at church on Sunday. That could be as simple as that and to see where the conversation goes. But have an expectation that God is fulfilling his promise to the world through Jesus Christ. And as Christ has come and died and risen from the grave, that he has sent his Holy Spirit so that we can continue to do what he started. In John chapter 20, he says, you're going to do greater things than I've even done. What he's talking about is, is not the power display and not the miraculous things. What he's talking about is we're going to do great. We're going to travel farther and we're going to share the gospel more than even Jesus did. Because our opportunity is greater. Our moment is greater. His plan was to come and save the world because he loved the world. And he wants us to continue in that. And so we have to see our opportunity and responsibility in it. So in the movie, We Were Soldiers, Joe Galloway is sitting there, and he's talking to uh, the Sergeant Major Plumley, which is my favorite character. My favorite character, which probably shouldn't be, but he is my favorite character in the movie. And he's talking to the Sergeant Major, and the Sergeant Major, I want to get this quote right because this is awesome. Um, he says, you can't take any pictures. i got to say it in his voice. Can't take any pictures down there, Sonny. And the Joseph Galloway says, I'm not, he said, I'm a non-combatant which Sergeant Plumley picks up a gun, puts it in his hand. He says, there ain't no such thing today, boy. <laughs> Listen, when you walk out, you grab the reach cards today. We can't just say, I'm just a Christian. You are an evangelist. You're a minister of the gospel. You are a missionary to this world. Yeah. And when you walk out of here today, you have the weapon above all weapons, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share to this world and to help see God's promise being fulfilled in someone else's life. It could be simple as a conversation. It could be as simple as here's a card. It could be as simple as ride with me to church. But you have an opportunity. You have a moment. Look at that and realize that it's a moment that God's given you to be a rescuer. Don't fumble it, but embrace it. Say, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how this thing's going to work, but it's going to be awesome. You look at the contrast in the same moment that this is taking place. Gabriel has appeared to Mary and told Mary what was going to happen. And that's an even bigger thing, right? Hey, you're going to get pregnant, right? And you're going to have a baby. And she's like, uh, there's a couple things about that, <laughs> right? But hers, her, her moment of, hey, I got a question is not a moment where she's like, I'm filled with doubt. I don't think this can happen. Hers is like, hey, I'm just curious. How's this going to take place? But I can't wait to see it fulfilled. 
It's okay to ask a question. It's okay to walk into a moment and say, God, I don't know what to say. God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know how this is going to go, but I trust you, and I'm going to step into this moment, and I'm going to say, God, it's going to happen, and it's going to work out for your glory and for this person's good because you're a God who fulfills his promises. Secondly, let's look at this. The results of our efforts when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to living out this this rescue-oriented life that God's called us to, the results of our efforts are never greater than our time spent in prayer. Never greater than our time spent in prayer. Listen, when you look at this and you look at the life of Zechariah, Zechariah, who was somebody who prayed, you look at this, your prayers have been heard by God. So much so that he's sending an angel to stand in front of you to tell you what he's going to do through you and through your wife. That's pretty awesome, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing. This dude obviously was fervent in prayer. He was dedicated in prayer. He was earnest in prayer. And he believed that God heard his prayers. Listen, it's the same thing for us. If we think that we can walk out of here with reach cards, if we think we can go to work and try to evangelize people and tell people about Christ and not spend a moment in prayer, we've fooled ourselves. We've absolutely fooled ourselves. You might see some benefit and you might see some good come from your effort, but your effort is always going to be increased by the time that you spend in prayer praying for those that are lost. I want to encourage you to pray for your community. Pray for your work. Pray for people and put them on names. I just saw one of my buddies down in Arizona. He puts everything down on cards. He's got an iPhone. He's got an iPad. He's got everything. But he puts them down on a three-by-five card so that he has the effort to go through and write things out and write people's names. And he goes through and he prays for those people, prays for those people. And he sees them get saved and he tears a three-by-five in half and throws it in the trash because God's answered the prayer. They provide somebody for a ministry area, tears it in half, throws it away. Whatever you got to do, be faithful in praying. Be faithful in seeking God and saying, God, I want you to show up. I don't want this to be based on me. I want it to be based on you. God, I don't want the result of my conversation with this person who's far from you to be based on what I know. I want it to be based on you and your Holy Spirit and what you know and what you have planned for them. It says this in John chapter 15, verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, I remain in him. Listen, the time that we spend praying to God, the time we spend seeking him, the time that we spend fervently asking for him to be present in our lives and to strengthen us and to be with us, that we are able to walk with that much more boldness and confidence, that we don't walk out in our strength, that we walk out in his. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 through 38. We see that prayer makes a difference in this way, that the harvest is plentiful. This is Jesus speaking. He said, telling his disciples, is it what you're to do? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Church, how often are we praying that God will not only send us and give us opportunities, but he'll send others? How often are we praying that out of this church that he will raise up missionaries? That he'll raise up people that will go into even our schools here in this community to make a difference for Christ. How often are we praying for people that we don't yet know that God will bring so that he can send? We need to be praying. We need to be praying because our efforts as a church are dependent upon our prayers. Our efforts as a follower of Christ are dependent upon our prayers. Let's call out to God and ask that he will work in those ways. John chapter 3, verse 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Man, if we try to get motivated because we know we're supposed to, 
If we try to walk out and say, okay, I've got my reach cards and I'm going to give them out today and I'm going to give three out today. That's my goal. And we just walk out with the mindset. We've got the three cards and we've got them in our pocket. We've touched them. We've held them up. You know, we've looked at them. Okay, I'm going to do this. And maybe the type A personality, she got it in your plan. At 12.10 today, I'm going to give up my first one, right? At 3.10, I'm going to give out my second one at the coffee thing and I'm going to talk to Joe and you've got it all scheduled out, right? Didn't even mean to do that, Joe, coffee. Anyway, so you've got it scheduled out. That's just for those of you that are falling asleep. All right, so there, you've got it scheduled out. You've got it all planned out, but that's just of your efforts. Man, if you take time and you say, you know what, this card, I don't know who it's going to go to today. But I know I've got to fill up my car tank tomorrow morning, and instead of paying at the pump, I'm going to go inside and I'm going to pay. And I'm going to pray, God, that you will put somebody in my path that can, I can give this card to that can make a difference. Man, when you do things in the spirit, you ask God to work through you. Those are the moments that things happen. When you're praying for God to do something, you're praying for God to work through you. Your efforts are going to be increased. Your rewards, your fruits are going to be increased. And you're going to be able to see God fulfilling his promise. And you're going to be able to have the strength and confidence to do it because you're going to know what to do in that moment. Because your hope is in Christ, not in yourself. So lastly, as we look at this, comparing our two characters here and we look at both of them third point is this is we have a role to play in his story of rescue because we've been rescued we have a role to play in his story of rescue because we've been rescued story of Joe Galloway and we were soldiers the end everything's done and he's standing on the battlefield next to Sergeant Howe and they're talking, and they're just looking at everything. Actually, they're just not talking. They're just standing there, just looking at the field, and look at all the things that happened, and the reporters that weren't as courageous as Joe are starting to come off the airplanes or the helicopters now and to find out what's going on so they can start writing their stories. And they're standing there, and they're looking at everything that took place. And Sergeant Galloway looks at How Sergeant Howe, and he says this, Lieutenant, Lieutenant sorry, Howe, and he says this. He says, sir... I don't know how to tell this story. And Lieutenant Howell says to him, he says, well, you have to, Joe. You tell the American people what happened here. You tell them how my troopers died. And Joe said, yes, sir. Joe went through this moment of transformation in his own life. Through the situations that he went through, the circumstances that he went through, he went from a struggling reporter Somebody who didn't know his way, didn't know his purpose, was doing something, didn't know why he was doing it, and felt guilty that he was doing it differently than others that have done it before. You now see him standing there saying, how do I do this? How does this work? And Lieutenant Halda says, you go, and you tell what you saw, and you tell what happened. And Joe says, yes, sir. That's our role. That's our opportunity. See, Joe was rescued from himself. He was rescued from a, a life discouraged. He was rescued from a life where he was just living irrelevantly, just trying to make things work. And at the end of the story, he stands as a person who's been rescued with a story to tell. You and I, we've been rescued. We've been rescued by God himself. He has sent his son to die for us because he knows that we can't rescue ourselves. Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth were the best 
the best of the best. They were the best that their religion could produce at that moment, and they still needed to be rescued. From that place where they were in their relationship with God comes the one that was prophesied of that would tell of Christ in his coming. It's a massive moment. We look at our own lives and we look at the situations that we're in. We have the opportunity to share the gospel and to tell people of the good news. The amazing thing is, is when you look at this, Gabriel, when he starts speaking, when he starts speaking to uh, Zechariah, and he says this, he says, um, I'm losing my part right now. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. You will have great and joy, gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And then he goes on when he says, I've come to share with you good news. This is one of the first words that translates from Hebrew into Greek that has the same meaning. And it's the meaning of telling of the good news. And it's tied in in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. And it says this in that chapter. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout it and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their Young. Come on, listen to this. I'm going to say it again. Tell the talents of Judah, your God is coming. Shout and do not be afraid. Listen, this is what Gabriel speaks to him. He's using words that Zechariah is going to recognize because he knows this whole stinking Old Testament, right? He's got it locked in his brain and it starts coming through. And he's saying, listen, shout it from the rooftops. Your God is coming. It's a moment of salvation, saying shout it, going to the mountaintops. In their time, the person that had something to share would go to the top of the mountain so they could be seen and heard by everyone, and they would shout it out. This is not permission for us to go and to be lunatics and crazy Christians, right? This is, though, a challenge for us to go and to boldly proclaim what God has done in our lives. That we have a story to tell because we've been rescued. And that we have an, um, not, just a, not just a convincing story, not just a story that sounds good or that's good for us, but we have the story to share, and it's the story that somebody else needs. So as the worship team comes up, just real quick, just want to, before we go into the worship moment, just wrap this up in these two thoughts. Many of us in here today, we've been a part of church for a long time. Many of us that would call ourselves followers of Christ. There's many of us that would say, this is my faith. I believe God is real. I believe that Jesus came to this earth to save all of mankind. I believe that he died on the cross, and I believe that he rose again, and he's in heaven now interceding for us. I believe these things. But what we do with it beyond that begins to slow down pretty rapidly. I just want to challenge you, if that's you today, that you have a story to tell. It's your story of how God rescued you. No matter how insignificant you think it is or how small it is or how subtle it is, it's a powerful story of the God of the universe, the God who breathes the stars into existence, invading space and time and coming into where you are and saying you are mine. 
There's nothing more miraculous than that. You've been rescued and you have a story to tell. You tell your story by sharing your faith. You tell your story by inviting people to church. You tell your story by serving in church. And that when you serve in church, you don't get distracted by your duties and you don't get distracted by the things that are your responsibility, that you just come in and you do them without acknowledgement that God's working through those to fulfill his promise. And his promise is, is that Jesus has come, that heaven is now and heaven is forever and it can be known for us through Christ. Man, when I set up chairs, it's not just setting up chairs, it's another seat that somebody who doesn't know Christ could sit in. When I'm laying carpet, it's not just so that the floor can be protected for the YMCA and me and Pete can have a good relationship. I'm laying carpet so that we can have church because today is a day that God could invade somebody's life with the good news of Jesus Christ and it could be changed forever. Same, when I go to work, and I go to the places that I go, it's not just so that I can get a payment, it's not just so that I can get a paycheck and so that I can then pay my bills, it's so that I can walk into that place and be a message of light and hope that no one else knows and that I can share my story of me being rescued. That's my moment, that's my opportunity and I wanna faithfully walk into it and I'm asking you to do those things the same. That we as a church, that we don't just walk through this life and walk through our Sundays and walk through our life groups and walk through our neighborhoods and walk through our places of work and just say, well, that moment just happened. But that we look at each moment as a significant moment in the time of eternity that God is speaking to us and saying, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to do something. And here's your part in it. That in that moment that we say yes. That we don't look at it with unbelief, we don't look at it with doubt, but that we look at it and say, I got some questions, but I can't wait to see how it's going to happen. Come on, let that be where we are today. Let that be how we function as a church. And lastly, as we get ready to sing this song, maybe some of you are in this place, and you don't have a relationship with God. There's not been a moment where you've been rescued. And today we've been praying, today we've been hoping, and even this moment in my heart, I'm longing and praying that you realize that you are desperately needing to be rescued. You need to be rescued from yourself. You need to be rescued from your habits. You need to be rescued from the, the, the future that you look at that you know is def devastating. And you need to look at it and say, I have the answer in front of me. The rescuer has come and the rescuer is here and he's saying, I want to save you. I want to rescue you. And it's not anything you have to do. It's not anything that has to take place other than you just saying, I need you and I'm going to make a commitment to follow you. So if that's you today, I ask that you will raise your hand in a moment. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more specifically. But I ask that you in the moment, that in this moment, you just, you lift up your hands. You lift up your voice to God and say, I need to be rescued. I need to be saved and give your heart to Christ. Let's stand and worship in this moment. Yeah. 
trust what you say Cause you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life, Lord Cause I know I may be weak, Lord And I may be weak But your spirit is strong in me my flesh may fail, and my God, you never will. And I may be weak, your spirit is strong in me. And my flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. Oh, I may be weak, yeah. your spirit is so strong in me, my flesh will fail you. But my God never will yeah. I may be weak Your spirit is strong in me My flesh may fail So Father give me faith today yeah. Give me faith To trust what you say Cause I know that you're good And your love is great hey. I'm broken inside, so I give you my life. I'll give you my life today, Lord. Everybody say, give me faith to trust what you say. You're good and your love is great. I'm broken So just a couple hours, we're going to be uh, hanging out at the park, you know, and just kind of hanging out together. It's going to be a lot of fun. And in just a moment, we're going to just tear everything down and try to get out as quick as we can so we can go and enjoy that moment. Let's let not all of the anxiousness of that moment override this moment. In this moment, I want to encourage you with this verse in Psalm 18. Because a lot of times we find ourselves in a moment, in a place where we try to do things out of our own good and out of our own ability. One of the reasons I picked this story in Zechariah is because it speaks to me and that a lot of times I trust what I do in this place and I trust what I do on these days a lot more than what I trust God wanting to do in me and what he has done for me. That my efforts mean a lot to me and I think they mean a lot to God. And they do. And there's definitely a place in us doing our part, and there's a place in obedience and faithfulness. But my motivation is not stemmed from what I accomplish. My motivation stemmed from what He has accomplished. Psalm 18, verse 19, it says this. It says that He brought me to a safe place. That He rescued me because He delights in me. Listen, God delights in you. That is a psalm that David prayed because he was a man after God's own heart. It's a psalm that Jesus could pray because Jesus is the delight of God. He is God and he is God's joy. And we are able to pray that and we're able to say that because of what Jesus has done. Listen, when you go out and you're telling people your story of being rescued, it's not because you have to, it's because you get to. And you get to because God 
the God of the universe who created all of these miraculous things that we look at, that we stand in awe of, delights in you. And in that, he sends you out to say, go tell people of my love and how I rescued you and how I want to rescue them. So go and do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.